Thanks for joining us. You're listening to the Life Church Podcast. In these episodes, you will hear encouraging messages from our weekend services. If you'd like to know more about us, watch a live stream, or find the closest Eastern Iowa campus near you, go to lifechurchnow.org. In the summer of 1986, I was on a missions trip to, uh, to Mexico City, and if you recall, in 85, there was this massive earthquake that hit Mexico City 8.0 on the Richter scale, and I mean, just destroyed the city in a lot of ways. Buildings collapsed. I have some images of, of, the, of the damage there. This is a, a hotel that just basically came to the ground. There's, there's more. I mean, there's just, uh, it, was, it was incredibly devastating. And so a year later, uh, I'm on this, on this missions team, and we've gone there to help rebuild a church. Many, many church buildings were destroyed as well during this earthquake. And so we went there to basically... Uh, continue clearing out. There was a, a church that had collapsed, and so we went there to continue clearing out the church, uh, uh, the, the property, and then we put up this big tent, and we started having uh, nightly services there, and there, so we would work during the day, and we have services at night, and it was, it was fun. I was, uh, I was young. I was, you know, kind of a new believer. Uh, I remember... I remember, uh, since I was one of the few on the team that spoke Spanish, uh, they asked me to go to a ferreteria, a, a, a hardware store, to um, basically buy some supplies for the team. It was about a mile away, a mile and a half away. So I was walking on the way to this, to this hardware store to get these supplies, and I came to this, um, to this intersection and a crosswalk. And so I, I'm standing at the, at the crosswalk to get across the street. And this is Mexico City, by the way, okay? So Mexico City is, I mean, there's millions and millions. It used to be, I don't know if it still is, but it used to be the largest city in the world. I mean, there's people all around you, right? And I'm standing at this crosswalk, and I look across, and there's a man, has no clothes on. Well, he's got underwear on. That's about it. His body was all scarred up, had long, matted hair. And I look across and I, make, I notice him and I kind of end up making eye contact with him. And then instantly he just started staring at me. And I'm like looking around like, you know, how, when somebody looks at you, you think, me? me? Who, are you talk, who are you talking to? You know, who are you looking at? You know? And so he was looking at me and he just kept looking at me. And keep in mind, like, again, it's just like there's thousands and thousands of people around me, but he's like focused in, he's gazed in on me, Right. And it got a little bit creepy for a second there, like he's really looking at me. I thought maybe as soon as I start crossing the street, so I start crossing the street, and I'm, as I'm getting across, I notice that he keeps looking at me. And there's probably 40, 50 people crossing with me, but he's looking straight at me. And you have, you have to know, I'm, I'm a brand new believer. You know, I don't know a whole lot about spiritual warfare and all that kind of stuff at this point. And so I'm looking, I'm kind of getting a little creeped out, and I said, I'm going to make some distance between me and him, so I'm kind of walking off to the right, he's standing over here, leaning on this pole, I'm walking off to the right, he's looking at me, and then just as I'm passing by, he says, hey, Ricardo, te conozco. He called my name out. He said, I know you. Uh, I wish I could tell you that, I, like Jesus, I looked at him in the eye, and I said, Get out of him, Satan. You know, I mean, I don't know. I like cast all those legions of demons out, but I didn't. I was like, how do I get out of here? <laughs> I ran, man. And uh, it was my, it was like, it, it was obviously demonic. And uh, and so then I'm I'm out of there. And for for me, it was the very first time that I actually experienced something like this, this invisible fight that we're in. I. 
never had experienced that up to that point. Since then, I've become more aware of this, the reality of spiritual warfare and the spiritual fight that's taking place all around us. I've, uh, over the years, I've seen and experienced people set free by the power of God, set free from demons, set free from all kinds of addictions and vices. I've seen God just move miraculously in people's lives. Um, I've, I've been to Bible college and seminary since then, and so I've learned theologically about these things. But I have to confess that sometimes I've become a little bit distracted as well. A little bit preoccupied with the things around us that we don't really pay attention anymore to the invisible fight that's happening around because it's invisible in some ways. It's a reality, but it's not always visible and I get distracted and I'm thinking more about how am I going to pay my mortgage and how am I going to, you know, fix my vehicle and my kids and I get all the, I can be so consumed with all these other things that I don't really, really notice what's going on in the spiritual realm and and then I kind of get caught up in that stuff and I forget that it's very, very real. So we're going to look at Ephesians chapter 6 over the next three weeks and we're going to be reminded of the spiritual warfare that we're in, Right? the spiritual warfare that's happening all around us right now. My prayer is, and I believe that what Paul is trying to say to us, my prayer for us as a church is that it would be like an alarm going off for us. You ever have those annoying alarms that wake you up in the morning? One of those, loud and buzzing, and that we would not press snooze, but instead we would wake up and, re- and realize that the battle that, we are in, the battle that we're in is real. It's real. So the question I want to ask you as we kind of go into this series is, as you think about your life, as you think about the life that you're living, the kind of life that you're living, could you, would you characterize it more like a playground or would you characterize it more like a battleground? Like, I, you, know, I, you know, I know. I, I know what we know theologically, but how are you living this life? Is it a playground or is it a battleground? You see, when, and I get it, we want life to be fun. We want life to be great. We want blessings. We want to go from day to day, blessed day after day after day after day. We want happiness all the way through our life. That's what we want. But if you see life as a playground and the whole purpose of life is entertainment and fun, that's exactly what the enemy wants you to think fact is is that we are in a battleground and there is a real enemy that opposes you and when you understand that when you know when you when you're clear about the fact that this is a battleground that there's a real enemy then you're prepared you're aware you're sensitive to it your your eyes are open to it right see the most dangerous the most dangerous way to live your life is to be on a battlefield or a battleground and treat it like a playground. I have an image here. This is some kids in Syria. And imagine the photographer was kind of moved by this picture because he took a picture of two children playing on a makeshift seesaw and they're both smiling and laughing. But they're right in the middle of a battleground. This is dangerous to treat life this way. Because in a moment, like that building there, a bomb can drop. There's this um, 
there's this biologic thing that happens to us uh, as humans. We, uh, it's, called, it's called hypnagogia. I don't, I'm not a doctor, so if you, I, there's a bunch of physicians in here right now, so please don't come up afterwards. Hey, Rich, that's not what that is. Oh, you can if you want, but I may ignore you. I, I don't know. Um, but this thing called hypnagogia, it's this, it's this kind of um, transitional state of consciousness between wakefulness and falling asleep. So as you're falling asleep, there's this, this thing that's happening to us in our brain, and oftentimes during this time, we can have these hypnagogic hallucinations. So we we're like we're we're thinking and dreaming about things as we're about to fall asleep, right? And so, <clears throat> there are people who have claimed that, and this happens to a lot of us, right? But there's people who claim that because in their hallucination, what they're hallucinating about is that they they are restless and they cannot fall asleep. Like they're just in their in this in this hallucination. That's what's going on. They're tossing and turning in bed and they can't fall asleep. And so they go to the doctor and they tell their doctor, "Hey, I haven't slept in weeks." which is physically like impossible, right? But they say, I haven't slept in weeks. And the doctors will, you know, they run tests and all, they conclude that he's, this is actually these hallucinations, these hypnagogic hallucinations. They, they're, they, they're asleep, but they think they're awake. I don't know, whatever the condition is physically, I feel confident that there's a similar condition spiritually. We're asleep, but we've convinced ourselves that we are awake. And the alarm needs to sound off. That's why Jesus in John 10 says that the thief has come, the enemy has come to kill, steal, and destroy. The enemy would love nothing more than for you and I to sleep through his designs, through his plans, through his schemes, and pretend that we're awake the whole time. So Paul's going to talk to us about this in Ephesians chapter 6. Let's look at verse 10. Uh, he starts off by saying a final word. <clears throat> I like this because prior, this is six chapters in Ephesians, and then chapters 1 through 5, he talks about a lot of things. He talks about marriage and family. He talks about husbands and wives. He talks about raising children. He talks about a lot of different things. And then he says, okay, and finally, like the last word I want to say, the final word is this, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. So as we kick off this series on spiritual warfare, you need to understand something. We don't approach this from a, from a position, we don't study this from a position of fear or anxiousness or concern or, or overwhelmed by darkness. We have God's power on our side. So as we talk about the spiritual invisible fight that we're, on, that we're on, you need to understand that we have God's power on our side. There is victory to be found in that. Just, I'm just letting you know, because sometimes there's too many books that we read that talk about spiritual warfare, and they focus so much on the power of the enemy that by the time you close the book, you're like, I am terrified. You don't have to be terrified, because we have his mighty power. Now remember, it's his mighty power. It's not your own power. It's not your strength. And if you think that you're going to fight the enemy in your strength, you better be scared. It's like running into a battlefield without a weapon. It's his mighty power. We have his mighty power. So we don't approach this with fear or anxiety. We approach this with confidence and courage. Verse 11, he says, put on, put on then God's armor 
Put on then God's armor so you'll be able to stand firm. So God's armor, we're going to talk about that next week a little bit. We're not going to talk about it today. But put on then God's armor so you'll be able to stand firm against, and we'll talk about stand firm in a minute too, stand firm against all the strategies of the devil. You need to understand something. This word right here, strategies, is also, there's a lot of other words that have been used for it, but the Greek for that is methodia. Okay, and it's this idea of a strategy. It's, it's, it's like an agenda that the enemy has. He, there is this, there is this div- diabolical scheme unfolding. There is a strategy behind him coming against you. Now get it, we, we don't, you know, we're like, we, ah, we don't know this, all this stuff is just so spooky, ooky, whatever, and so we don't really think about it, but here's the thing. There is a divine, I mean, there is a diabolical strategy coming against you. It's not, it's not just you fell into it. Like in my case, the enemy knows you're rich, you're a pastor of a church, growing church, God's doing some good, cool things in that church, and you're married to Christy, and you have four children, Jonathan, Josh, Gabriel, Caitlin, and you have six grandkids, and I want to destroy you. And so I'm figuring it out, how to destroy you. There's divine strategies against us. He goes on, stand firm against the strategies of the devil, for we're not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities and of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this, dark, in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly realms. Like what he's saying here, Paul is telling us that there's a battle raging all around us. Now that word fighting is an interesting word because there's a lot of words in the Greek that Paul could have used for fighting for war. But he chose a word that signifies and means more like wrestling, like hand-to-hand combat. That's the word he's using. Wrestling. The war that we're in, it's a hand-to-hand kind of combat type of war. Now, many of us in the West, when we think of war, like right now, we're probably not very conscientious of it, but there's a war right now in Ukraine. You guys are very conscientious of it because you're missionaries to Ukraine. But most of us in the West... You know, when it first happened, we're like, oh, wow, Ukraine, let's pray for Ukraine, whatever, whatever. And then time passes, and we don't think about it anymore. And if you don't watch the news very much, you really never think about it. There is a war going on, but we're not thinking about it. And the idea behind the reason behind it is because it's not here. It's over there. And so what Paul is trying to say here with that word that he's using for, for wrestling, for fighting, is that this is a very, very present fight. It's not over there. It's not distant. It's right here. It's, in fact, it's right in front of you. It's in your life. It's in your relationships. It's in your home. That's the war that's going on right now. Not far, but right here. He also says our fight, this hand-to-hand combat, it's not against flesh and blood enemies. It's against the devil. I know. I, we say, I use the word devil and in, in our sophisticated world, we're like, yeah, nah, <laughs> there's no devil. I don't really believe that. I mean, we don't mind talking about the devil as like a metaphor for evil. Like we'll say devil, you know, oh yeah, this, when we say the devil, we're meaning like all the evil in the world. It's like this un- elusive thing that is just out there and we figure out other ways to deal with it. But, you know, I don't know if I believe in a real devil. I'm like, if I saw somebody's head spinning in circles, maybe, 
Maybe I would believe in a real devil, but, but I don't really believe in a real devil. And the enemy would love nothing more than for you to believe that he does not exist. To somehow ascribe all the evils and all the things that happen around, all the trouble you might be going through to like happenstance or just circumstances or whatever. The word devil means slander or accuser. Satan means enemy or adversary. And so, so Paul here is telling us that we have a spiritual adversary that operates in a supernatural world. We're in a Western world where we don't like to think too much about the supernatural world. If you go to some of the third world countries who live in a very different environment, they think a lot about the supernatural world. And so instead for us, instead of thinking of, in supernatural terms, we tend to think, especially in the West, we tend to think in, in natural problems, like where there's natural problems, and so let's find out, let's find natural solutions to these natural problems. That's how we tend to think. And so we kind of, not, not on purpose, but just casually basically dismiss supernatural things happening behind these natural problems. For example, poverty, right? Poverty is a, it's a natural problem out there. We see it every day. We're aware of it, right? And so we ask ourselves, what's the solution to poverty? How do we solve the problem with poverty, right? And so most of us thinking people will say, well, education. Let's just educate people. If we will just educate everybody, then poverty, they'll rise up out of poverty and they will never, you know, no longer be poor. Now, now, I'm not dismissing education because education, we know that education does help elevate societies and help elevate people out of poverty. But if education was the answer, why is there still poverty in the world? Or another thing, violence. So there's violence. It's a natural problem that we face. What's the natural solution to violence? Where do we need to fight the battle against violence in our world? Well, I think some of us will say, well, video games. That's the natural solution. Just get rid of video games. You know, give or at least censor video games, or there's no violence in the video games, right? Others say guns. You know, guns are the problem. Let's get rid of guns. Yet, how are we doing with that? We pass legislation, we pass all kinds of stuff, we do all kinds of things, and yet we still have violence in this world. See, the problem is that even though these are natural problems, there's a supernatural force behind them. And this is spiritual warfare. This is where the, this is a, there's a real enemy out there. And so our real enemy would love nothing more than for us to battle against the wrong enemy. <laughs> That's what he would want. Like, he, he's the enemy, but he'd want to get us to think that, hey, <laughs> poverty is the enemy. Go figure out how to fight against poverty. Or racism is the enemy. Go fight against that racism. Or this or that. And, all kind of, and we find ourselves fighting the wrong enemy when there's a real enemy that's out against us. Your enemy is not your professor in college who basically ridicules your faith. It's not that activist judge that wants to do away with your, with your rights or your beliefs. It's not the political person across the aisle. It's not this news pundit that knows how to push every single one of your buttons. (laughs) That's not your real enemy. Your real enemy is not that relative of yours that's mocking you for being here this morning. That's not your enemy. Your enemy is Satan. And he wants to destroy your life 
We wrestle not against flesh and blood, Paul says. Now, when we get that confused, here's what happens, that we pick up the wrong weapons to fight. When we don't get it, when we don't understand that, that our enemy is not one another, we pick up the wrong weapons. Paul tells us this in 2 Corinthians 10. He says, <clears throat> he says we are human, but we don't wage war as humans do. We don't wage war as humans do. We use God's mighty weapons, not worldly weapons, to knock down the strongholds of human reasoning and to destroy false arguments. We've worked so hard at doing this stuff right here with worldly weapons. Our battle is not against flesh and blood. We don't wage war as the world does. But here's what happens is we live in a world where the attacks feel real where you feel like your rights are being trampled upon, where you feel like, where, where you feel like that person, that neighbor of yours is really hurting, hurting you. And so what they do is they pull out weapons of rage and hate and contempt and ridicule and they, and they come against you and you feel it. And so you say to yourself, oh yeah, you wanna fight? Okay, let's fight. So you pick up weapons of rage and hate and contempt and sarcasm and you go to war against them. The moment we pick up weapons of this world, we stop fighting against the real enemy, we start fighting for the real enemy. I wrote this down because I need you to hear this. The moment we decide that the person sitting across the aisle is the real enemy, we stop fighting against the real enemy, we start fighting for the real enemy. Sorry, I'm passionate about this, but... <clears throat> Satan would love nothing more for us to see us followers of Jesus Christ pick up the wrong weapons to fight. That's why Jesus tells us, pray for your enemies. He doesn't say destroy your enemies. He says, pray for your enemies. Bless those who curse you. We respond to criticism with compassion. We respond to rage with gentleness. We respond to insults with kindness. Now I realize that you hear me say that, and you're like, kindness, compassion, that rich, that's, it feels so weak. Try it. Try to use those weapons. Try to be kind to a person who just cursed you. Try to love a person that seems to think you're just, you're just terrible. Let's talk a little bit about the strategies the enemy uses. I think the first strategy, sorry, my, I feel like my mic is flopping. I think the first strategy that the enemy uses to attack us is vulnerability, when we're vulnerable. He attacks us when we're vulnerable. He'll wait and wait and wait till he sees weakness or vulnerability and then he'll pounce. That's what he does. That's his strategy. And so the question is, what areas of your life are you vulnerable in? And that's a question to ask yourself. Where am I vulnerable? Where are the places where the enemy can actually attack me? I think one of the areas for many of us is, is anger. Anger is a place where the enemy oftentimes likes to get a foothold. In fact, in Ephesians chapter four, just a few chapters before this, Paul says this. He says, don't sin... Don't sin by letting anger control you. Basically, what he's saying is that when we get angry, which there's, re there's obvious reasons why we can get angry, right? But when we get angry, don't let that anger be how you make your decisions. 
how you treat one another, how you relate to your brother and sister. Don't let that anger do that to you. Don't let it control you, because when you let it control you, you sin. Don't sin by letting anger control you. For anger, this is, a, this is powerful, for anger gives a foothold to the devil. There's something about anger, something about anger that allows the devil to break through the lines and disrupt what's going on inside of our lives. And he establishes a base camp in your life when there's anger. This anger allows him to have access to every other area of your life. It's anger that causes us to, we justify our sin when we sin against another brother or sister because we're just angry. And so if you have anger in your heart, this is the time for grace. It's a time to receive grace. It's a time to give grace. I mean, if you wanna, if you wanna hold your ground against the enemy, if you wanna stand firm against the enemy, then it's time to give grace and not let the enemy get a foothold in your life. Every day you carry anger, there's destruction happening around you. I feel like I have to say that again. Every day you carry anger, there is destruction happening around you. Now, you may not see it with a naked eye, but lives around you are being destroyed. I think another place of vulnerability for us is pride. Uh, the enemy loves to attack where he sees you overconfident or self-confident or full of pride, self-righteousness. Those are areas in which the enemy loves to attack us, right? Oh, I can do this. I've got this on my own. I don't need them. I don't need that. I don't need that church. And so the enemy comes in and he attacks us with pride. And, uh, and we're vulnerable to him at that point. Uh, one of our board members, Jeff McCoy, in fact, Jeff might be watching right now. He's in Cedar Rapids. Uh, he, he, he's an avid skateboarder. And, uh, and one day he showed up at one of our board meetings on a Thursday night with this, this device called a one wheel. Maybe you're familiar with one wheels. A few of you. Okay. It's, it's like a, it's battery operated. You stand on it and, it, and it, if you lean forward, it goes forward. If you lean backward, it, it breaks, you know, and so that's what that is. And so he shows up at, at our board meeting. It's about 6.30 p.m., 6 p.m. in the evening, and he says, he says, look, I've got this one board. And I'm like, I can do that. That's what I told him. I can do that. And so, so I got on it, and I, here's, here's a video. Go as slow as you need to. There you go. See, I've got this. My feet are a little shaky, but I got this. Yeah. Sweet as that. See, I got this. I got this. I got a little bit of confidence, maybe overconfidence rising. When Josh sees this, he's going to oh, be, he's gonna be jealous. Yep. <laughs> I figure out how to break. I did good breaking. Now it's time to do a nice tight turn. Yeah. So the Bible says, Bible says pr pride comes before the fall. That's the case in point. Pride comes before the fall. Here's the thing. For six months after that, I walked with a limp. Some of you remember that. And I was like walking around. 
because I got this high ankle sprain, you know, and, and, it, and it hit me pretty badly. Okay, I was overconfident with a one wheel, but I think sometimes we get pride sets in in some more significant areas of our life. And we put ourselves in a position where we're not hearing from the Lord and receptive to what the Lord wants to do, and we give the devil a foothold. He steps into our life because we feel overconfident about things in our life. And so we need to understand that the enemy attacks us through vulnerability. Another strategy of the enemy is distractions. Distractions. <clears throat> he loves, especially these days, to distract us. Like God's working in you right now, even right now as you're sitting in this room, God's, God's speaking and God's challenging in areas and he would love nothing more than for you to just like, oh, lights. Let's count the number of lights and get distracted. <laughs> That's what happens. You know, with the other, you know, the cultural thing, we squirrel, you know. <laughs> so we get distracted very easily. Um, C.S. Lewis wrote a book called Screwtape Letters. I'm sure so many of you have probably read them. Read them. He's, in, in, this, in, this, in this book, he's imagining um, Screwtape, who is a demon, mentoring another demon by the name of Wormwood. And, uh, and they're mentoring, he's mentoring on them. He's, Screwtape is mentoring Wormwood on how to be an effective demon, Right? And there's this little part where he's talking to, 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 to Wormwood about, uh, how to, you know, about distraction. This is what he says. He goes, I once had a patient. When he says, Screwtape says, I once had a patient. What he means is a person that this demon was assigned to. I once had a patient, a sound atheist. One day he sat reading something that was going to turn his mind in the wrong direction. So maybe he picked up a Bible or something like that. And that was going to turn his mind in the wrong direction. And he says, the enemy was at his elbow in a moment. When he says the enemy here, he's talking about the Holy Spirit or the, or, you know, the, the uh, angels of light. The enemy was at his, at his elbow in a moment. It goes on. Before I knew it, I saw my 20 years of work beginning to totter. I struck instantly at the part of that man which I had best under my control. Now, here's this demon saying, I have an area of this man that it's under my control. And suggested that it was about time he had some lunch. Like this atheist might have been influenced to consider God and the reality of God, but then he started feeling hungry and he put the book down and he walked away. Distractions. He goes on to advise Wormwood that if his man, Wormwood's man, would ever enter into a church, do everything you can to distract him. Distract him with squeaky boots, with a double chin, with odd clothes of the person sitting next to him, just keep him distracted. And some of you, this has happened to you. Some of you, you have been on the verge. God is working. He's moving in your life. You're on the verge of experiencing revival in your life when suddenly something happens. Something from work or maybe, you know, conflict in your marriage or something with your kids. And before long, your attention is drawn away from that. The enemy would love nothing more for you to get consumed with a work, a work project or some challenge that you're having with your kids, or maybe as simple as the new season of a show on Netflix coming on that, that you just love this show, but it happens to come on at the exact moment that the Holy Spirit is trying to work in your life and bring transformation to your life and bring healing from your brokenness. Distraction. Another strategy of the enemy is Division. I think this is especially relevant these days. He knows that if he can get us to turn on each other, 
if he can divide the ranks, then he could pick us off one at a time. That's why Jesus in John 17 prays for the church. And what does he pray for? That they would be unified, that they would be united. In fact, the vision that Jesus has of the church of Jesus Christ is a united, a unified church. So don't think for a second that when you see all kinds of division around things like you know, political opinions or social perspectives or personal preferences, things like that, don't think for a second that the enemy is not behind that. That's what he wants to do. He wants to divide us. This summer, I, I went on sabbatical and uh, I had divided up into three months. It was three months. So I divided up into three different um, phases, so to speak. I didn't want to be that specific about it, but that's what I did. And so the first month was just away, relaxation, recuperation, that kind of stuff. The second month, I wanted to take the month to dedicate it to just looking back at previous ministry time and just reflecting on it and asking God to give me insight of where I've been and what, what I've been through for the last several years of ministry. And then the third month was about um, looking ahead and asking God to give vision and direction for the future. I remember, and I'm feel, actually feeling a little bit emotional right now. I remember in the second month, um, I, was, um, I was looking back at the several years of ministry and this emotion just began to overtake me. Uh, Emotion of sadness. <clears throat> I, I, as I started thinking about the division that, that we as, a, as, a, as, a, as the world and as, the, as a nation, but even more, more personal for me as a church and as friends began to experience, that we've experienced in the last several years, I just began to feel really sad inside. Brother against brother, sister against sister. Even children who are not even talking to their parents anymore. Parents are not even talking to their children anymore. And at first I was very angry. I have to be honest, I was mad about it. But then that anger turned into sadness because I realized that they were family. Like, like there are people right now that I love and I care about, but I haven't seen in years because something came in between us and now they're gone. It should make us sad when we allow this kind of division to take place within a church. In fact, the Holy Spirit is grieved by it. The Holy Spirit is grieved by it. He, he sees that kind of division amongst brothers and sisters and it breaks his heart. And the enemy knows this and the enemy will use division to separate us. That last one, I know I'm kind of running late, but last uh, strategy I want to talk about is isolation. Isolation. Um, in, the, um, in, in Ephesians 6, in that verse that we talked, he, the, the, um, it says stand firm, and, and you need to understand, in the, in the Greek, this, this, this language, these verbs are in the plural form. Now, a lot of verbs in the New Testament are plural form, partly because he's not just speaking to one person, he's speaking communally, so he's speaking to all of us. When he says stand firm, he's, what he's saying to you and I here today He's not just, you, you could take it personally. You could say, yeah, Jesus is calling me to stand firm. But the way Paul is saying is, you, Life Church, stand firm. Stand firm together. That's the idea behind this. And maybe Paul's imagery, the imagery that Paul has for this word right here is that of Roman soldiers. 
See, Roman soldiers would go into the battlefield and they would stand in the middle of, of the battleground and they would have these shields. They had, not, not these, but they had these smaller shields that were like for hand-to-hand -hand combat, but then they had these larger shields, like four feet by two feet wide. And what they would do is they'd stand and they'd make a shield wall and they would interlock their shields together and they would become this shield wall. And that wall was impenetrable. Armies would come against them and it would stop any force coming against it. If every one of them stood firm together. But the moment, the moment one of the soldiers said, this is scary, I'm out of here, that shield wall would collapse. <clears throat> this is a time in history where we must stand shoulder to shoulder, shield to shield with each other. The enemy, the enemy is against you. It's not a time to think that I can do this on my own. It's not a time to think that I can, I've got this, I, I, I can do this. In fact, in, in 1 Peter chapter 3, uh, the enemy is kind of referred to as a, li a roaring lion seeking whom he may, he may devour. If you know anything about lions, I don't know, I've never actually, I've seen them in zoos, but I've never really seen them out in the open. But a lion doesn't attack a herd of buffalo, go right rushing into a herd of buffalo. A lion lurks around waiting for a younger buffalo or a, an injured buffalo to get isolated from the pack. And as soon as it gets isolated from the pack, that's where they pounce. This is what the enemy knows. This is what he wants to do with you and I. And so recently we went through a season of social dis distancing, and I get that. I get that, you know, for our physical health, it was, it was, it was good. But it was incredibly damaging for our spiritual health. Because as people isolated themselves, the enemy began to pick them off one by one. And I know, I know them. I know some of them by name. The enemy has utilized this to pounce and bring about death and destruction. Listen, guys, we need each other. We need each other. Now, you might be sitting here right now saying, I don't know. I don't. I don't get along with that person. I don't think they're just different than me or they believe different than me. We need each other. That's what the enemy wants you to do. He wants you to isolate, to be divided. Amen. Let's all stand. Now, I'm just going to go back to my question. <clears throat> is it a battleground or is it a playground? As you think about your life, is it a battleground or is it a playground? I understand the desire for a playground. I understand that. I want life to be fun and easy and uh, safe, full of blessing. I want that. And I believe God gives those things to us. But we need to be aware that we are in a battle. Satan would want nothing less than for us to think that he does not exist and that what you and I are living is just a playground. Normally when I ask people, I invite people to respond to the message, I, I try to do it very, with kindness. The Bible says kindness leads to repentance. I don't like using heavy-handed tactics to make you feel guilty or shame or anything. That doesn't really help. It doesn't really produce 
Repentance, kindness does. But I just need to be real clear with you. You're in a war. You're fighting the fight of your life right now for your, for your community, for your family, for your children, for your very soul. And because that is true, then I'm just appealing to you right now, wake up. Don't sleep through it. Wake up. Amen. I have prayer teams here, left and right. Our team's going to lead us in a song of worship. And while they're leading us in a song of worship, you can step out and receive prayer. They're here to serve you. If you're going through the battle of a lifetime, now is the time to get prayer. Amen. Let me pray for us. Father, I just want to thank you, God, that you are here and that you're speaking, that you're challenging us, oh God, and that there's a war going on all around us. But Father, we're not, we're not cowering in fear. We're not seeing this through a perspective of, of darkness and concerned about the darkness. We see this, God, because you have given us your power. It's your strength that we're operating in. And God, we're believing for miracles to happen. Father, for bondages to be broken, Lord God, for chains to be released. We're believing, God, that you're going to set people free. Right now, families, children, children that haven't talked to their parents, parents that haven't talked to their Father, you're going to bring freedom to that situation. There is a spiritual war happening trying to divide families right now. And in Jesus' name, we stand against that force. He has no power. He has no authority in the name of Jesus Christ. And so, Father, we're declaring freedom right now, victory right now, in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's worship together.